Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the FT Money program from the Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money show. In today's program, inflation, how much of a threat is it to fund investors and what are fund managers doing about it? Stock market indicators, why American consumers, truck drivers and Disneyland holidaymakers have good news for UK shareholders. Tax-efficient investments, how to take an old 40% capital gains tax bill and shrink it to 18%. And we have some good news and bad news on high street savings accounts. I'm Matthew Vincent from FT Money and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleagues from FT Money, Charlene Goff. Hello. And Alice Ross. So let's start with the money news. Inflation is back, and this time it's personal. Official rates show that the consumer price index is up by 3%, and the retail price index is up by 4.2%. But for higher earners and wealthier investors, research commissioned by Barclays Wealth shows that the personal rate of inflation can be as much as double that. So how can you be sure that your investments are growing faster or at least keeping up with that rate of inflation? And what can fund managers do to ensure that your holdings don't lose their spending power? Well, Alice, you've been talking to fund managers this week about uh, this very challenge. Uh, What have they said that they're doing to fight inflation? Well, there's one very basic thing that most of the fund managers seem to be doing, which is to invest in price setters, not price takers. So you want to invest in companies or sectors that are able to pass the costs on to the consumers. They can dictate the prices that they they get. Exactly, exactly. Um, Now, there are various ways of doing that. One is by investing in infrastructure. Um, For example, they hold certain assets like toll roads or even airports where consumers are just going to have to continue using them. I mean, you can't Well, in most cases, you can't not take a certain road that you take to work. So if that price goes up, you're going to have to pay it. So they're in quite a strong position. Um, Another way to play it is um, by investing in utilities, which is a kind of a very similar reason. Because everyone's going to have to pay their fuel bills. Everyone's going to have electricity and water. Exactly, exactly. And while we don't like the price increases, we still have to pay them because we can't really do without them. Another area is uh, tobacco. Um, Tobacco companies are actually very good at passing on the costs to consumers because when government tax goes up, 
it's very easy apparently for tobacco companies to raise the price of by a further penny, which doesn't really hit the consumer that much, but makes massive um, increases for them. So it means that their businesses are strong. Yes, uh, as someone who officially doesn't smoke, I do, <laughs> I, I do however, know exactly what you mean. <laughs> of course, yes. We won't, we won't go too far into that. Um, I mean, an, another reason, in fact, what one fund manager said to me is that people who do smoke are, because of all the health um, warnings recently, if you're still smoking, you're probably going to carry on smoking whatever happens. So you're not going to be put off by the increase in a packet of cigarettes. You're died in the, you're died in the wool or... Pretty much, yeah. Died so, on the fingers or yeah, teeth. Exactly, smoker. yes. <laughs> so if you are, invest, if you are um, a tobacco company these kind of smaller things aren't really going to hit you so much. So that's another area that's been recommended. So is there evidence then that um, you know, the fund managers have been moving into infrastructure, utilities, tobacco in a, in a big way recently? Or is it just starting? Um, I think infrastructure is an interesting one. Um, that's an area that's becoming more widely available to the retail investor just in the past 18 months. Um, one fund, fund manager I spoke to uh, he has a multi-manager fund. He's just taken a big stake in an infrastructure fund in the past six weeks, which is deliberately um, a response to inflation. So we're definitely seeing this kind of trend with fund managers starting to kind of move their portfolios as the threat of inflation comes up. But do you think it's still a case that investors really need to pay a little bit more attention nowadays to where their fund managers are investing in, in terms of sectors rather than just assuming that a, that a manager will be aware of inflationary problems? Um, I think I have to say, I think it's a reasonable assumption that any fund manager in the current climate would be aware of the inflation situation. I mean, it's it's all over the news. Um, we're seeing it everywhere. I think any fund manager that isn't positioning their portfolio to take advantage of inflation, I think that would be quite unusual. Um, so you have to hope that you've picked the right fund manager. Yes, well, with inflation rates for wealthy people running at sort of 8 to 10 percent, I'm sure fund managers have noticed it uh, on their own doorsteps even. So, uh, well, thanks very much for that, uh, Alice. And if you'd like to know more about what fund managers uh, and indeed pension funds and private banks can do to fight inflation, look out uh, for the article in this week's FT Money, in the weekend FT, on the 14th and 15th of June and online at ft.com forward slash money. You can also send in your questions for us to answer by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. Still to come in the programme, reducing your capital gains tax bills by investing in venture capital. And we have some good news and bad news on high-rate, high-street savings accounts. But first, the stock market. Earlier this year, US investment manager and author Ken Fisher flew over to the UK to give his investors some reassurance about the impact of the subprime crisis and subsequent credit crunch on US and UK equity markets. Back then, he drew parallels between the Asian contagion of 1997 and the American contagion of 2007. His prognosis was that while there would be a shortage of credit for low-quality corporate borrowers, there would be an increase in credit supply for AAA-rated borrowers, so mega-cap shares would lead the last leg of the bull market. But that was before higher oil and food prices got everyone scared about inflation and about possible interest rate rises. So this week, Ken flew back to the UK to allay some fears, and he hot-footed it straight from Heathrow to the FT studios earlier this week to talk to me. 
Ken, last time we spoke earlier this year, you were drawing comparisons between the Asian contagion that was seen in 1997 and the US contagion that people were worrying about in 2007 and indeed this year. Now we've got further concerns about rising inflation and central bank tightening of interest rates. Um, Is it now looking a lot worse than you initially thought? Uh, No, I don't think so. Um, First, the tightening is because we've finally come to this realization that we are not having a catastrophic downturn. We don't have this American contagion rippling around the world, creating uh, recession everywhere and soon intergalactic chaos. The fact of the matter is the movements, whether it's in Brazil to tighten or elsewhere is because people are realizing the global economy is actually relatively strong. Now, the other part is when you see people fearful of inflation leading to fears that uh, central banks would raise rates, they react thinking this must be terrible, which is an compulsive obsession with the notion that central bank movements are preceding to predictable outcomes, which is easy to demonstrate in terms of statistical history that that's nonsense. When you actually look at central bank tightening in the past and then see what happened 3, 6, 12, 24 months afterwards, as well as central bank loosening, there is no consistent demonstrable effect that's different from what markets do normally anyway. And actually, the history and the aftermath of central bank tightening for stock markets has been pretty good. But central bank tightening um, hits uh, homeowners in particular uh, in in terms of uh, their mortgage payments. We're already seeing these big concerns, certainly in the UK, about um, falling house prices and um, people's disposable income and their sense of sort of per, you know, their personal worth and how much they can go and spend of a, uh, of a weekend or on a holiday tends to be linked to that. Um, are you saying that these fears aren't that justified? First, let me say that clearly some people in any environment are going to be hurt and there will be some people hurt exactly as you have described. On the other hand, when we think of this in the broader scale, we need to remember a couple of things. One, if we're thinking about capital markets, we are not going to find a time period where the U.K. market, the British stock market, is inherently negatively correlated to the non-British stock market. Secondarily, in America, not Britain, we have a long home price series that reflects home price fluctuations. And it's easy to demonstrate statistically that when in the past we've had home price downturns in America, both Personal consumption and personal income haven't wiggled at all. This notion that the home price overall falling translates into the consumer becoming frightened and then pulling back is easy to demonstrate non-occurring in America. Maybe it happens in Britain, but I want to point out that Britain is 5% of global GDP. America is 25% of global GDP. The two great Uniteds united are only 30% of global GDP, and it's the other 70% of global GDP that will pull the smaller more than the smaller will have impact on the bigger. One of the fallacies of the so-called American contagion theory in its beginning, just as was the case 10, 12 years ago with the so-called Asian contagion is that the bigger has more impact on the smaller than the smaller has on the bigger. And when you realize that the two great Uniteds today are the smaller and the rest of the world is the bigger, you realize they're going to pull us along more 
than we think. And even though there are these parts, pockets of the economy that will do badly, the bigger part is stronger. So if it is that the, the bigger part will pull along the smaller part, the smaller part being uh, the, the US and the UK globally, and the UK market is, as we know, uh, highly correlated with the US uh, stock market, um, do we really have nothing to fear as investors? What, what are you seeing in terms of uh, you know, the, the US market? Are there, are there any indicators you use to see how relatively strong or weak it might be? Well, one point that Charles Dow understood 110 years ago when he was first creating the Dow indexes is you couldn't have an economic downturn of any size unless the transports that carry all the stuff turn down. Right now, when you look not just in America but around the world, transport industry capacity utilization is at or near record highs. Secondarily, the transport stocks themselves are strong. Thirdly, when you think of weakness, one just basic rule of thumb you can take to the bank is that the first person to get off the airplane is the vacation traveler. And if you fly around a lot like I do, what you see all over is the vacation traveler is out in force. What I think journalists should do is be required to go to places like Disneyland so that they actually see the vacation traveler is spending money If the vacation traveler were really pulling back, then they'd be off the plane taking a a camping trip two hours from where they live for vacation instead of going to places where they spend money. So I should go to Disneyland, basically, just for work purposes? I think it's a requirement. That sounds very good. But for uh, listeners who are investors uh, who are still worried about the negative sentiments that they detect in the media and things like that. The the fact is... In the beginning of this year and going through the latter part of last year, people have had the pants scared off of them. They're running around with no pants on. What do people do when they're running around with no pants on? They cover their shorts. Right now, short sales are at near all-time record highs globally, and people have the dickens scared out of them. There's an age-old saying often attributed to Warren Buffett that actually precedes Mr. Buffett, which is that you should be fearful when people are greedy and greedy when people are fearful. And right now, it's pretty easy to see that people are a heck of a lot more fearful than they are greedy, which says that people should be greedy now. So time to put our pants on and head to Disneyland. I think so. I think it's party time. Ken, thank you very much indeed. That was Ken Fisher of Fisher Wealth Management talking earlier this week. Coming up, we have good news and bad news on savings rates. Before that, though, deferring capital gains tax by investing in venture capital. As we wrote in the FT Money section a few weeks back, investors can now effectively claw back capital gains tax paid years ago and benefit from the new 18% rate. The way to make this tax saving is via an Enterprise Investment Scheme, or EIS. These schemes allow the tax on gains realised up to three years before investing to be deferred indefinitely or until the EIS investment is sold. And with a significant drop in capital gains tax from a maximum of 40% to 18% in April this year, the three-year rule means that considerable savings on tax could now be made. But EISs are, by their very nature, riskier ventures. So how can you get the balance right between long-term investing and tax saving? Well, Ted Mott, Chief Executive of Oxford Capital, joined us in the studio a little bit earlier to discuss this very subject. 
Ted, the tax efficiency of enterprise investment schemes looks very attractive, um, but ha having a tax-efficient investment that isn't producing returns or isn't growing at a reasonable rate isn't really worth an awful lot, is it? It's not. You're right. Tax efficiency is a very important part of any aspect of wealth management, but the most important thing is to make sure that the wealth grows so that the tax efficiency works. You've got to have a, a base of growth to have the value of the tax efficiency. And how do you go about ensuring that um, the money that is entrusted to you grows at a sufficient you know, rate to, 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 to hold its value and, and make tax deferral worth it? The pursuit of growth is not an easy thing for any of us, particularly at a time when so many sectors of growth, whether it be properties or commodities uh, or stock markets generally, are not showing very many signs of growth and probably have lower prospects in the future. Uh, we work hard to identify where tomorrow's growth sectors are and believe that everyone uh, should have in their portfolios uh, access to where these new growth themes are. What are the growth themes? We see three areas of growth where the UK in particular and Europe in general can succeed in the world. They are healthcare. We all live longer and need better health, whether we're old or working age or uh, young. Uh, secondly, we need uh, environmental technologies. The world is re-engineering itself to have a more sustainable world uh, for tomorrow, uh, Matthew. And thirdly, communications. Europe is very good in the whole field of uh, software and uh, mobile communications. And there's a long way to go in these three super growth themes. These are, of course, uh, super growth themes, but um, some might regard them also as, uh, as super risk themes in that uh, they sound a little bit like the sort of technology sectors that people were getting burnt by um, in uh, the late 90s and sort of early part of this century. How do you diversify sufficiently to, uh, to manage the risk? Diversification is absolutely essential in all aspects of investment. Within our own funds, we diversify an investor's wealth, his money committed to us, uh, across about 20 companies in each fund. So 20 uh, companies across three super growth themes, each company slightly different in a different market, a different application, a different subsector, uh, different stages of growth. Uh, we do not, in venture capital, uh, invest uh, exclusively, for example, in uh, startup companies. That's the image of venture capital, and we do not back startup companies all the time, but have done some with much success. Uh, but we do uh, back companies at a growth stage, at the cusp of growth. And by spreading the money across uh, 20 companies, there is a sound diversification. So we reduce the risk like that. And uh, can you give some examples of the types of companies? You, know, you, you said they're not all startups, but obviously you're, you're looking to get in at an early stage. Uh, any, any particular examples? Indeed, uh, the value for an investor by uh, working with a good venture capital manager is that he can get money deployed at an early stage before the whole world has realized that it's valuable. Uh, if we could have all got in at Vodafone in 1980, we'd all be extremely happy. And if we could have all got in with Mr. Bill Gates when he was only 25, we'd be very happy. Well, the good news for us is that in Europe today, and particularly in the UK, there are a number of very exciting merging companies. And we are 
looking for that next generation of leaders. Let me just give one example, and I mentioned Bill Gates just now. Uh, he happened to choose a company which we identified five years ago. This is a company called Oxitec. Uh, Oxitec stands for Oxford Insect Technology, and it has a, t uh, a technique of controlling the birth rate of Insects. So Sounds a, curious. Insect birth control. Insect birth control. Why is this valuable? Well, insects tend to spread diseases, whether they be human diseases like malaria or food crop diseases uh, like uh, fruit crops and cotton crops and so on. And uh, Mr. Bill Gates chose this company, Oxitec, to be its preferred scientific partner in the global fight against malaria and uh, recently the government of Malaysia has chosen it for its global fight against, uh, its regional fight in South Africa against dengue fever. This company, we think, will be a very big European company tomorrow, and we're actively involved with it. We, and it's, uh, the good news was that in January this year in Davos, uh, at the World Economic Forum, it was voted one of the world's top 30 most innovative companies. Interestingly, one of only five companies in Europe, and we're proud to have identified that really early at the outset of its career. And it is doing something that is uh, quite unique, I imagine. But it's also doing something that's, that sounds incredibly difficult. And isn't that what characterises lots of companies in this space? That they're all doing difficult things. Um, so what's your hit rate? You, you must have companies that, that go to the wall also. Uh, no venture capitalist has a 100% hit rate to success. Um, out of every portfolio of uh, 20 companies... We expect two or three companies not to work out at all and perhaps one or two more not to do really very well. Uh, so uh, four or five companies may not work, uh, achieve the returns which we want. Of course, at the moment we invest, we believe they'll all be very successful. But the reality is that some don't work. Um, in each of our funds, typically about 25% of the companies do really well. Uh, about half the companies uh, do moderately well and about a quarter of the companies do not do well at all. That was Ted Mott, Chief Executive of Oxford Capital, and for more on capital gains tax and EISs, you can read Alice's article on the subject at www.ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, it's good news, bad news on savings accounts. Um, Charlene, uh, you've been having a look at this, and in fact it's been really hard to miss some of the, the advertising for what seem to be sky-high savings rates. Yeah, some of these very high-paying uh, savings accounts are really back with a vengeance now. Um, we've seen a number of banks, both British banks and foreign banks, coming into the market with bonds paying 7% um, and a little bit higher than that even, which is a huge premium above the base rate, uh, two percentage points greater, and really that's quite unprecedented to see savings rates at those levels. Also, it's not just the fixed rate bonds now. Um, more banks, are, they seem to be getting so much more desperate for retail money that they're offering much better rates on very flexible accounts. So online savings accounts, no-notice accounts, um, and also regular savings accounts. We saw Halifax, for example, uh, launch a regular saving account paying 10%. That's right. In fact, you also qualify for an extra 2% if you have 
£5,000 in another account with, with exactly. another bank, so 12%. The 12%, um, which is incredibly high. And as you say, you get that extra 2% if I think you can uh, off, uh, put another £5,000 into another Halifax account. So another way just to increase the flow of retail money coming in. The only thing with that account is that it's only quite a limited uh, amount of money you can qualify for the... 12, 10 or 12% rate on, I think you can pay up to £500 a month. So actually over the year, uh, that only equates to about £300 or so of interest. That's if, true, yes. If you, if, you, if you put in the maximum, yes, you, you, you have £6,000 in, but only at the end of the year. You wouldn't have the interest on the yep. full £6,000 for the whole year, which you could with one of these fixed-rate bonds, for example. Yeah, exactly. So they're kind of good for people who want to save regularly out of their income, put money away for a rainy day. But if you've got the money up front, then definitely these fixed-rate bonds are looking very good. And actually, uh, people, are, advisors are thinking we might even see launches coming onto the market paying even more than that. Um, At the moment, they're paying 7.1%, yeah, of them, 7%. Yeah, that's the best one. But I suppose the bad news uh, on this is is the other side of the uh, of the bank's book, so, so to speak, um, the mortgage lending. But I couldn't help but notice that one of the you know the seven percent uh, savings accounts is from Bradford and Bingley, and yeah. we, we know why Bradford and Bingley needs money. Well, exactly, and they have got these very attractive fixed uh, fixed rate bonds, but at the same time, most of their mortgage rates now are at least 7%, which again is a very, very high premium to base rate. Other banks have also been pushing up mortgage rates again this week. We've seen Abbey, um, Royal Bank of Scotland, Scottish Widows, all withdrawing products and repricing upwards. So on that side, things not looking quite so good for borrowers. And also with the inflation moving in the direction it is, we may now have further interest rate rises this year, which could trigger even more mortgage rate increases. Yes, much better to be a saver than a borrower right now. Uh, well, Charlene, thank you very much um, for that. And if you'd like to know um, more details about uh, all of those accounts that Charlene mentioned, look out for her article in FT Money with the weekend FT on the 14th and 15th of June. And that's all we have time for in this week's FT Money show. Remember, you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Alice and Shelley. Bye. Goodbye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 